a little taste of what heaven might sound like. I leaned over to Rich and I said, that's you and me up there, baby. He said, at least the demons would flee. (laughs) Thank you. I I, I was uh, working on the sermon yesterday morning at Starbucks and a a friend of mine, uh, not from church, you know, it's so nice to have normal friends, you know, friends that are not from church. You could take that any way you want. But he doesn't know me as his pastor, and uh, we were giving each other a hard time. How's it going? I go, it's, not, it's, it's slow. He puts his stuff together. He's just leaving Starbucks. He turns to me and says, oh, yeah, yeah, hey, what are you lecturing about? That's never a good sign. <laughs> what are you lecturing about? And, and I said, it's something, I mumbled something. Well, it's, it's about how to live an abundant life. I could tell we were not communicating. The abundant life is a phrase out of the Bible that clearly Steve, oh, good life, yeah, man, hey, I got a great life. You and I, we got a great life. Well, hey, we got that going pretty good. See ya. And I I realized that that I had not communicated with him what uh, an abundant life would look like in any meaningful way. Frankly, it's a hard concept to get across because we are so often seeking the good life. Jesus had a hard time getting across what an abundant life would look like as well. In the 10th chapter of John, it says, the first people who heard Jesus use the illustration about the good shepherd and the thief didn't understand it. So he explained, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate, and those who come through me will be saved. They'll come in and go freely, and they'll find good pastures. But the thief's purpose, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. This morning, we... uh, We handed out one-third of the 170 Bibles to those little kids. And and they showed us that they were learning to pray the way that Jesus taught us all to pray. Right Right out of the Bible. They they knew this prayer. and, And part of the prayer was, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us watch out for the thief, is what they were saying. Because the thief has the intent to separate us from the shepherd and the other sheep, to steal our souls, to kill our hearts, and destroy our meaning. The kids will learn all about that. And then Jesus ended. The thief is to kill and steal and destroy, but I have come. But I have come to give them life. Life in all its abundance. I am the good shepherd. Life in all its abundance. When you think about abundance, what comes to your mind? I, I, I took a couple days up north and drove there through the harvest, through the fields that were just so unbelievable, fields that literally feed the world. It was incredible. That's what I think of abundance, of, of a feast where there's so much to eat like at Thanksgiving that you just waddle around for days. 
afterwards. What, what is abundance like? I asked my brother what abundance was like, and he goes, overflowing beer mugs, man. <laughs> we all have different ideas of what abundance is. But that's, that's what I should have answered my friend Steve. I should have said, Steve, it's about what's missing in your life. What's missing in your life that stops it from overflowing? From feeling abundant. Not okay life, not successful life, not a happy life, not a healthy life, but that's really overflowing. What would abundance look like for you? Come and check it out. Because if you were with a group of people who believe that there is a God and that God had an idea of life that would overflow for them, what might it look like? Well, an overflowing life would probably start right at the beginning with love. Abundance means that we learn to love God and learn to love others. And if I had an abundant life, it would mean not that I feel that way all the time, but that over time, I am going down that road. I sense God's presence and I'm learning to love others better. In spite of the crashes and detours and getting lost, the breakdowns, my life would be more and more experiencing love from God that I could share with other people. That's abundant life. In contrast to a society of acquisition, I think the abundant life would also be marked with a secret. A secret about how to be content. The Apostle Paul says, I've, had a, I've been rich and I've been poor. I have learned the secret of contentment. That's abundance in life. I, I think that it would be that I would learn that my life should be peaceful and quiet as opposed to frenetic and always got to go to the next thing. Paul says to Timothy, lead peaceful, quiet lives of godliness and wholeness. Become whole. Now, I think that if I were to live an abundant life, it would not, uh, it would not be stopped by bad times. Everybody has bad times, don't they? Everybody does. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Somehow, you can be blessed when you mourn. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are you in the good and bad of life. That's abundance. A life that was overflowing would be fruitful, right? The Bible talks about our lives bearing fruit, and that fruit is patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. And the one that I love most, people who are living an abundant life have unquenchable joy. Some of you struggle with this, but you have been given joy. Don't lose it. The glass is not half empty on its way to being broken. The glass is a gift from God this day. I think if I were to talk about what would mark somebody who's living an abundant life, it would be that even though they have bad days just like I do, they would have unquenchable hope. They would be hopeful people. They would be hope-filled people. What should I have said to Steve? 
What's missing in your life that stops it from overflowing? How about you? Are you content? Would you be described as joyful? More and more, is there a sense of hope in your life? When people look at you, would they see somebody who is falling in love with God and with other people? Not becoming religious, but falling in love. What's missing in your life? Because I think there's a gap between normal life and the abundant life. Jesus says, I have come because people are not living the abundant life. I've come that they might have life like this. There's a gap between the way we're supposed to experience life and normal life. Because normal life is not normal. Normal life is broken by the thief. He is right now trying to steal your joy and destroy your hope and kill your love. There's a gap in, uh, in England. You go to England, you will see a phrase over and over and over. It says, mind the gap. There's a tiny little gap between the underground train and the station. That, that's the gap. Mind the gap. Don't fall in. I think there's a gap in our lives between the life I want to have, the life I know I'm, I'm destined for, and the knot in my stomach. Sometimes that's just normal. But sometimes there's a gap between what life could be and what life should be and what life isn't. It's dramatic. The, the very first time I was uh, ever on a mission trip at Christ Presbyterian was not to Africa or the Far East. It was to Europe. Because with the fall of the Iron Curtain, the medical systems of Eastern Europe collapsed and in part what collapsed were the orphanages that held children. And the orphanages filled with children that were no longer able to be supported, but there was nobody to take care of them. And these kids would be in rooms that were filled with cribs, and they would be given a piece of uh, food or, or a bottle once a day, and occasionally, really not even daily, they would be changed, their diapers would be changed, and, uh, and this is what they looked like. They stood on the edge of their crib and they rocked hour after hour after hour. You might remember the TV talking about the iron crib. The, the crib became a little cage for these kids. And World Vision was trying not to feed children that were starved, but to love Children that were dying, they had a medical condition called FTT, failure to thrive. They failed to thrive, and this happens rarely in the States, but it sometimes is a uh, genetic or metabolic. Kids just don't grow or thrive. Sometimes it's because what the parents did when the children were in utero puts them way behind, and they failed to grow and develop. But most often, failure to thrive comes from children who are not held and loved and talked to. And so they have the opposite of abundant life. They fail to thrive. That's dramatic. Can I, can I tell you, I, I think that the failure to thrive is all around us. 
I think that God intended for our life to flourish, to come up, to bubble up like a flower that comes up through the cracks in a sidewalk, like a, a little kid who is learning to toddle. You look at that and you go, oh, it's a miracle. It is a miracle. Like the child who learns their first words. Or the kid in eighth grade who learns a whole new thing. You go, yes. They are thriving. Thriving is what God intended when he made life and saw that it was good. Be fruitful, he said. Multiply. Too many of us, too many of you, are failing to thrive. You are not thriving. You're getting up, going through your day, and going to bed. You're taking life on its terms, but there is little abundance that is not material in your life. Are you thriving? Or are you just going through the, through the motions most days? I, when I talked about the signs of abundance, I listed some that came to my mind out of the scriptures, but I, I left one off uh, deliberately because I think it's the trigger. It's the one that starts all the others toward abundance of life. 170 of these, I was going to say stupid little Bibles, I didn't. The reason I say 170 is because each year I have the privilege of signing my name and then writing a little note. I write a little note on each one of these Bibles so the kids will know that I've prayed for them. And on, about, on every Bible that we hand out, Joshua 1 is underlined. And I write a note most often at Joshua 1. See if you can figure out what the last sign of the abundant life is. No one will be able to stand against you, Joshua. The way that I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I'll never leave or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you'll lead these people. Be strong and very courageous. Obey the law. Meditate on it. Obey it. Have I commanded you not? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. What is the theme that we want the kids to know? To Not to be afraid, not to be discouraged. It's repeated four different times because we are fraidy cats. The first prerequisite for the abundant life is to become fearless. Now, fearless, usually you think of some superhero without fear. That's not, I think, what fearless means in the Bible. I think fearless means in the Bible to fear less, to fear less than I used to fear so that I'm not trapped so that I'm not trapped by my fears. Sometimes you can see a sign of somebody who has chosen not to be trapped by their fears in an odd place. And I was helped this, uh, this year uh, by a theologian of great note. Most of you have heard of this theologian. He gives lectures all the time. He's on uh, TV. His name is Stephen Colbert. <laughs> He's a genius. Uh, I don't want to say that I was reading Parade Magazine, but Parade Magazine interviewed Stephen Colbert. It was research. And uh, Colbert talked about his conversion back to Christianity. He became a Christian as a young adult. And his faith deeply affects his life. He says, I was moved by the command of Jesus in Matthew 6. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. He said, this passage not only became the keystone of me turning to Jesus, it's how 
he explains his calling, his vocation, his comedy. Colbert says, That's being fearless. Not living in fear is a great gift from God. Because these days, we do it so much. And you know what I like about comedy, Colbert says? You know what I like about comedy? You can't laugh and be afraid at the same time of anything. If you're laughing, I defy you to be afraid. There is a sense in which the presence of joy, the presence of love, pushes out fear. I love that. But how do you do that in a normal life, in a Tuesday afternoon life? Ulrich Nowen says we only start to feel abundance when we spend more time living in the house of love than we do living in the house of fear. He says we need to consciously leave the house of fear. What are you afraid of? And move back into the house of love. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I'm the gate, he says. I'm the gate where the sheep live. When you come in to me and be with the other sheep, you're moving into the house of love. Because love casts out fear. Our relationships, our dreams, our arguments, our decisions are all marred by fear. And Jesus says to come to him. To come to him and he will bring us to the house of love. Sometimes that happens dramatically and most of the times it's just one step at a time. There is a... um, a famous in my circles uh, uh, author named Frederick Beekner. He's actually a Presbyterian minister, but he felt like his calling was to become a writer and has been Pulitzer nominated twice, a terrific author, written dozens of books, famous and, um, and, and successful. But about 20 years ago, that success didn't mean anything. He was being asked to speak at Harvard and Princeton and Yale, and he had a hard time accepting because his child was sick. His daughter, his little girl, was dying of anorexia. She wouldn't eat. Food was the enemy. And Beekner and his wife said, oh, honey, honey, you, you got to eat. You, you, and he said, I felt like I felt like this great lion trying to push food into her mouth, and every time I did, she would run away. I couldn't fix her. I couldn't fix it. And all my faith was, God, what are you doing here? And and Beekner says, at the very pit, I was driving away from the institution. We had put her into an institution where they would force feed her so that she wouldn't die so fast. And I left my little girl, and I drove out into the rain. And I got to the place where I couldn't even drive. And so I pulled off to the side of the road and I just had tears coming down and the the rain is coming down outside. And I said, God, 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 where are you, God? And Beekner said, and, uh, and in front of me, a car pulled up to the stop sign and stopped, stayed for a moment and drove off. And he says, and I looked at it and everything changed for me because the license plate of the car was very different for me. A Vermont license plate, and it just said this. Through my tears, I could see the word trust. He said, now, in my intellectual brain, I knew that this guy's probably a banker at First Bank and Trust. (laughs) 
He said, but it was a word from God. It was a word from the shepherd that said, trust me. Trust me. That's abundance. He wipes off his face and he says, I didn't have anything solved and I didn't have any new wisdom, but I felt like I was not alone. I felt like I could go on. That's the beginning of thriving. That's moving from the house of fear into the house of love. And he says, and when I share that story with other people, they say, oh, me too, me too. Because abundance of life is a gift that we receive to share with others. It was perfect, perfect to have the first and second graders receiving their Bibles this day. Because this day is All Saints Day. The weekend, the day after Halloween, where the devils are supposed to scare us, we are reminded of the saints of all the ages who come to the table when we eat at the table and they say, we did it, we did it. It was a journey that took all of our lives, but we moved a little bit, even just a little bit from the house of fear into the house of love and God started to feed us hope and grace. And so when we come here, we'll see some of their faces and we'll eat with them the meal of the shepherd who offers us not fear, but love. And if we listen real carefully, we will hear them say, follow us. Come on. Come. Follow the shepherd. Those first and second graders, they are saints in training. Just like you. Lord Jesus, I pray that those first and second graders will read their Bibles and believe that you're the good shepherd, that they will have abundance of life. Not rich or famous or happy or healthy, but they will have an abundance of life, of contentment and joy and hope, of loving you so much that they are not afraid. Bless them. Bless us in your great name. Amen.